Last week we, we picked up on this passage and, and we talked about it briefly and I'm going to re-engage it. It has to do with this amazing conversation and interaction that Jesus had with the man who's described as a lawyer. In fact, it says this in Luke 10, verse 25. It says, behold, or we would say, you know, there was this moment where a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, tested Jesus. The, uh, the picture in our mind, uh, mind's eye should be that Jesus is sort of surrounded by a large number of people he's been teaching. His disciples are part of the crowd. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, a lawyer stands up. Now, when we think about this as a lawyer, I mean, we have to sort of uh, remember that it's not exactly like a lawyer today. It has some similarity. But in their day, the law was based around the, law, the teachings of Moses. So it, it had, a, it had a, a religious connotation to it. It was, it was not just legal. It was also religious. And so this man, this lawyer, this, this would have been someone who was skilled and in, the, in the area of theology and the practice of law, but it was the law of Moses. And so he was someone who evidently had a lot of self-confidence because in the context of listening to Jesus, he stood up, which was in and of itself a kind of almost semi-confrontational position, posture. He stood up out of the crowd, and, he, and, and we, would have, we would have said, well, maybe his motives were good. He asked Jesus a question. He said, what should I do? What should we do to inherit life, teacher? Now, on the surface, it looks like a fairly innocent question, but the Bible says that it says that a certain lawyer, look at the way it's phrased here, it says, stood up and tested him. So the, the motivation was not just one of inquiry. It wasn't just, you know, hey, I, I want to understand better. There was almost this idea that he was setting some type of a theological or rhetorical snare for Jesus. He was hoping he might step into. He might be able to hold court and sort of go at him. We talked about this. We talked about how it, was, it had the potential to be a high-level discussion. And everybody would have been very interested in what was going on. I want us to see that. So he asked Jesus the question, what do you say is the greatest thing in life? What is the supreme thing? What do, what do I have to do to inherit life? What is your take on this? I've heard many people talk. I'm very intrigued by what you're saying, but I'd like to hear your position. Jesus, of course, did what he had a practice and habit of doing. He, he answered the question with a question. And he said to him, he said, well, and implied in this is, you're an expert in the law, aren't you? That's your profession. I think you, you, would, you, know, you would agree. I think you're aware of that. I said, what, what do you say is written? What is written in the law? Um, how do you, and how do you read it? Actually, I'm interested in hearing your pers perspective. What would you say to your own question? The man rallies himself, maybe initially caught off guard, but he smoothly answers it. Perhaps having heard Jesus talk about it in the past, it was commonly understood as well. It was one way of looking at the law. He says, well, my, my, my way of describing it would be very, probably very similar to yours. I would say that you are to love the Lord your God, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. He was basically taking the law, summarizing it in the Ten Commands, and then dropping down these two commands as a summary of the Ten. And, and Jesus said to him, and, and then he probably wondered, what are you, you going to... So Jesus said, you've said absolutely beautifully. That's perfect. Well said. Well said. You've answered correctly. That's exactly what you should do. And then look what he says. It says, all you have to do now is just... 
go and live out what you just said. And you're going to live fine. Now, Jesus had already talked about how if you really love God, you were going to receive his son. But for some reason, he focuses right there. Now, we would have thought, okay, well, what happens here is sort of like, yeah, that's the answer. Go and do this, and, and you will live. It's almost like, so is there any more need to have a discussion? You've already got it. You've got, you're right on it. You've got it. You know, do that, and you're going to be fine. But, he, but we're told here that in the midst of this, and everybody's probably looking at the man, and he's, he, but he felt, by, we're told that something about the way Jesus said it or something about just the way that it, it hit this man, that he, it says here, wanting to justify himself. Look at that. Wanting to justify himself. Basically, he says, I get that, but let me ask you this question back. Who is my neighbor? I mean, how do we define that? I get it. I'm, no, for what, he, he skips past the, the loving God. He gets that. He's, he gets stopped right on the neighbor part. Maybe he had been wrestling with it already. Maybe it had been something that was going on inside of his own heart. Maybe he had been, as, as what had been part of the discussion of that day, struggling with the idea of who really am I responsible to love? What is the limit of my love? You know, it's, it, we, we think of it sometimes the same way. You know, what point do we just draw our lines? What point am I no longer obligated to, to, to love someone? In a lot of people in his day, in the circles that he was in, would have said, well, you, the, the lines are really clear. They're narrow. They're tight. You only really are responsible for loving people who believe in these principles of God exactly like you do and, and we do. And so it was a very tight. In other words, for some people it was, you know, just those who Jewish people who are committed to the, to the honoring of God's word, that is your only real responsibility in terms of loving your neighbor. Others said, no, no, it extends far beyond that. It includes, you know, all, the, all of our people. And, and then others say, well, what about those who are immoral and, and break the law and don't live by it? And he goes, are we responsible to love those? What about the Samaritans who are kind of like half Jewish? We're responsible to love, are they our neighbor? What about the, what about the, the Gentiles? What about the Romans who've come over here and they oppress us and they tax us? Am I responsible? To, are they my neighbor? You can feather it all the way out. You know, what about the, th the publicans and the, the, the task collectors who betrayed their own people? Like, what, what, you know, they, the, who is my neighbor? Who am I responsible to love? And Jesus, in that moment, answered the question with one of the greatest. I mean, I don't think anybody saw it coming. He, he, gives, us, he gives us a teaching. He gives us a story that is not only going to live in that moment, but it's going to live for the ages. We're even now touching it together. But what he says is, he, he says, well, let me tell you a story. You want to know who your neighbor is? And he says, there was this man, and he starts out like this. Jesus answered, and he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, let me just stop right there and just say that Immediately, his, his audience would have known exactly what maybe a lot of times we, we wouldn't have necessarily thought of, think about as much because Jerusalem, in, in relation to Jericho, there's a long road that connects them about 20 miles in distance. Um, you can still actually take that road today. About six years ago, I remember a group of us went there, and I still remember a pullout and how all of a sudden we were just surrounded by a lot of uh, local uh, Bed Bedouins that were there. and, and it, it was very interesting because there was a lot of um, pushiness to sell things and buy things. And you, if you didn't have a guide, you might have felt a little bit uncomfortable in that environment. But the point being is that in that day, actually, a lot of people were aware that the road to, to Jericho from Jerusalem was actually a very dangerous road. 
It was about, uh, you know, Jerusalem was about 2,000 feet above sea level. It's so funny. Last service, I said 2,000 miles above sea level. <laughs> I said, that's the new Jerusalem, right? I'm kidding. But so, but it was, no, and, and Jericho was about 1,000 feet below. So you could get it, and, and the road itself was very rocky and um, had limestone caves and very windy. Uh, you, could, you can always see around the edge. People knew in that day when Jesus said there was a man who was traveling on the road to Jericho from Jerusalem, they would have mean, oh, that's a, that's a dangerous road. In, in Jerome writes in about the fourth century, he says that you know, it was infested with, with robbers. Uh, in Jesus' day, people had a nickname for that road. It was called the Bloody Road, Bloody Pass. It was a notorious place to be for predators to fall upon people, to beat people, to jump them, basically, is what we're talking about. Rob them. You, you, you tried not to travel alone, and if you did, you tried to do it in a way that was as much as possible in the daylight. And you had to be very careful and cautious. When you went by yourself, you took matters into your own hands. People did it all the time. It was part of the way of life. But people were very aware in that audience, including the lawyer who was standing there, the scribe who was standing there, that when Jesus was talking about a man who traveled, oh, he's, that's, a, that's a dangerous road. You've got to be careful when you take that road. They had known people who had also been, been beaten and jumped on. Everybody was aware of it. It was, it was not like something that it was obscure. It was right. Right there, when he refers to the road to Jericho, people's mind immediately connect with it. It gets their imagination going. And in fact, you get the impression that when Jesus says that, there was this man on the road to, that was taking a, a journey and he was making a trip, implied a business trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, or going back home, we're not sure, that they immediately, again, they start, they can see it. And whatever the question, actually, I, I get the, you get the impression that the question that was first asked that starts it all sort of pushed to the side while they start engaging with their imagination and what Jesus is describing. Jesus says, and that man that was on the road to, to Jericho, you know what happened to him, Jesus says? He says, he was going down and he fell among thieves. He got, he got jumped on. And they, they, they started stripping him down, Jesus says. They, they stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him. And then they, when they finally left him, and it was a, it was a, it's very picturesque. I mean, this pathetic plight was so vivid. This, this half-beaten, you know, this, fo- this beaten, half-dead, wounded man, severely and cruelly and callously just kind of stripped down of his clothes. And again, what kind of people do that to other people? Beat up, bloodied, robbed, clothes down, thrown, rolled over on the side of the road, not even sure if he is even alive, aching, um, semi-conscious, Utterly alone. That's the picture Jesus gives. And he probably lets it linger right there. And he says, but you know what happened? There was a man by chance. You know what? There was by chance a priest who was coming by. And he saw him and probably everybody goes, oh, good. Right? That's great. Oh, man. He's rescued. But Jesus went on to say, oh, but you know what happened? Is when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, by the way, priests in Israel in that time, they were people, okay. Priests in Jesus' day served in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they were people who officiated and performed a number of rituals and religious duties. In fact, at the time, the priests of Israel were divided up into 24 orders, and they had divisions, and those divisions were responsible for serving in Jerusalem in the temple one, one week, twice a year. 
and you had a rotation. And those were very special weeks for you. It would be like if we had a, a particular job in which there were two weeks where everything mattered the most. It was special and meaningful. And Jesus doesn't say whether this man was coming back from having served or whether he was on his way. He kind of leaves that to our imagination. But one thing we know is that if he was on his way, he would have probably, because you weren't required to live in Jerusalem, but you were required to be there on time if you were serving. What's more, if he had been a priest who was on his way to serving, he was also obligated from a, a responsible, committed standpoint to honor the law. And you know, the law said that if you, if you even touched a dead person, you were disqualified for 24 hours. So, you know, he's, it's not clear. Jesus doesn't say for sure. But the fact of the matter was, if he was on his way to serving, it's possible that he just assumed the man might have been dead. And maybe he thought, this could ruin my special week. This could ruin. It'd be like if we had an, something that we were absolutely looking forward to. All right, I, I'm, whether it's a, a, a special vacation we had or something that we had planned for, that we were really excited about, committed to, and then all of a sudden we, we, we find that something occurs and we have to make a decision. And what am I going to do about it? Now it's, it's possible. Perhaps he rationalized, I can't take a chance. I can't, I can't take a chance and, and, and allow that to happen and ruin this thing. You know, my honor binds me. Or maybe he was on his way home, in which case it was just a desire to avoid the hassle. You know, I've had a long week. I, I just got to get home. Um, I'm already behind schedule. Maybe he feared it. People would have known this. Maybe he feared it was a trap. On that road, it was notorious. People would feign like they, were, they were, had been robbed. They would play dead sometimes. Someone would come, some innocent fool would come, walk over there wanting to help, and all of a sudden, he would be jumped himself. So you, you get it like, you see, the point being is that you had to weigh things out. So when Jesus says, it's so easy to, you know, so he says, oh, yeah, the priest just passed by. Well, he may have had a lot of reasons, and Jesus doesn't say that he didn't. He just says the bottom line is the decision was made that when he saw the man there from afar, that he made a decision that, you know, prudence, whether it was I don't want to be bothered or I can't take the chance of ruining this week, whatever it was, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not, it's, it's, I can't. Then Jesus says, but, he, but there was another man. And look what he describes him. He says, this man, verse, look at verse 32, likewise a Levite. Now a Levite, um, very similar to a priest, not quite the same, arrived, when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked. And he, but he, look what it says here. He looked, but he passed by on the other side. Now, now Jesus says a Levite. Levites were kind of like um, assistant priests. They... they they sort of assisted in the, in the work. Um, some people refer to them not in a, in a derogatory way as secondary priests. They had a very important function. They took it very seriously. And this man is either on his way up or on his way back, but the bottom line is that he has a very similar, very, remarkably similar, uh, you know, to his predecessor. When he sees the man who fell among thieves, his reaction is very similar, right? What, what, is there any difference? Yeah, there is. Do you see it? There's one small difference. It's noted that he, if we could just think of it the way Jesus describes it, he says that he, though, is a very subtle thing. He says that he came and he was a little, a little more curious and a little less fearful. And so he looked a little more closely at it, assessed it. 
made a decision that it's better for me to not deal with this. And he then, Jesus says, walked to the side. And I think at that point, I think everybody's listening. They're all, the, the, the scribe is standing there. Remember, he's been the one to ask the question. Jesus is giving the story. Everybody's listening. Everybody's looking at him. He's looking, and it's, like, it's almost like the scribe is saying, okay, I get it. I get it. The religious guys are the bad guys here, right? People like me. I think I understand what you're getting at. All right. But he says, oh, no, no. Then Jesus does something that nobody was expecting, not even his disciples. I'm confident of that. In fact, they would have probably had a, they probably were as caught off guard as everybody else. He says, oh, no, did I mention there was one more guy who came by? And you know what that man was? Look what he says here. He says, likewise, it says, a certain Samaritan. Sam- now, oh, now see, we read that, we go, oh, Samaritan. That, for them, that was like, oh, whoa, what did Jesus just say? Certain Samaritan, you know what Samaritans were? In about, um, I know not everybody would know this, but about 700 years before Jesus' time, the, the Jewish people were captured and overtaken by the kingdom of Babylon, which is interesting today, you know, kind of modern-day Iraq. And at the time, it was a, one of the great world powers. And what was happened, it happened in the northern kingdom, because at the time, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a south and a north. In the northern kingdom, the, a huge chunk of the population was forcibly relocated geographically back to Babylon, taken out of the land. And then what was put in their place were Assyrians, Assyrians were moved in to that region. And the the Jewish people who were left and the Assyrians who had been relocated there forcibly as well or invited to live there in some cases, over time they intermarried. And so the people who were there, their children were half Jewish, half Assyrian. They were were considered Samaritans. Later on when the, the Jews would return under the miracle of God, the ones who came back viewed the ones who had stayed and intermarried as basically traitors. And by that point, they had developed a kind of hybrid faith that was different. There was a cultural difference. There was a distinction. Here's the deal. Samaritans and Jews did not get along at all and didn't have any dealings with each other. When you read the Gospels, the Gospel of John, for example, if you follow, go to John, third chapter of John, and you see this interaction between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus who comes to him at night, a very religious and powerful man who just wants to have an interaction with him, and Jesus talks about him, the need to be born again, and all that discussion. But then you go to the next chapter, chapter 4, and there's this account of Jesus having this interaction with a woman at the well who was a Samaritan woman. And in the course of their amazing conversation in John 4, she says to Jesus, who initiates the conversation in an almost unconventional way for the time, she says, who are you? You're a Jew. You want to have a conversation with me? I'm a Samaritan. You know that Jews and Samaritans, we don't, we don't get along. We don't have these types of conversations. We don't do business with one another. Here's the deal. I want you to think in your mind geographically. In the south, think of Israel. Mediterranean Sea, all right? There's the, there's the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan and the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea. In the south, where Jerusalem is, all right? In the south, they, that's the, that was called Judea. And then up here, and Judea was more sophisticated, more urban, because it had Jerusalem, the place of prestige, power, influence. It's where a lot of things take place, where Christ's last time of ministry takes place. It's where he dies. It was a place where pe- Southerners had a, a, a sense that they were more urbane, more sophisticated, more learned. Up in the north, 
the area in the north was called the Galilee. You can still go there today, obviously, by the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus grows up. In the north, they were tended to be thought of as less sophisticated, more rural, all right? Kind of looked down on by the southerners. There was that rift as well going on, all right? They had the accent. The north, in their case, the northerners had the accent, and the southerners kind of didn't think highly of it. That's why even when, remember when one of Jesus' disciples is, is invited to, to, he's not a disciple at the time, he's invited by one of the ones who would be, who wanted him to meet Jesus. He says, hey, you know, I think we found the Messiah. And he says, well, who? And he says, well, he's, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And his first reaction is, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, are you serious? A northerner up there, right? Come on, right? And he says, no, I want you to come and meet him. I want you to come and meet him for yourself. You'll see, right? And there's this, here's the point. In the north and in the south, but guess what was in the middle? Samaria. And that region in the middle, a lot of times what people would do Instead of traveling the more direct route from the south to the north, going right through Samaria to get to Judea, what they would do, so intensely was that tension that they would cross over the other side of the Jordan, go up the other side, and then cut in, just to miss having to go through Samaria. There was real tensions that existed. So when Jesus throws in this character, and it went both ways, it wasn't just one way, Right? When he throws in the Samaritan, he says, oh, the Samaritan, there was a Samaritan. This third man was a Samaritan. And then Jesus proceeds to do something that would have caught them all clearly off guard because he says, you know what this man did? And the implication is the one, the guy, the guy that was robbed, impl- the implication is he was someone who had been a businessman from Jerusalem. That's the implication, at least anyway, that he was one of them. All right? That when Jesus says that then there was a Samaritan, and as he journeyed, when he came to where this man was, do you know what he did? Now, he just got through saying the priest and Levite passed by, not wanting to get involved. He says, when this man came by, look what it says. He saw him, and he had compassion on him. And then it says, he went to him, threw caution to the wind, got down. And he says he bandaged him put oil and wine on his wounds. And then it says, Jesus said, you know what he did? After he, after he bandaged him, he, he, he lifted him up and he put him on his own donkey, his own animal. And then he led him to an inn. And at that moment, I'm sure everybody was just like, and you made the Samaritan the hero on top of it. And, and it's like, now, we're going to see in the coming weeks that interaction and how beautiful it is, what Jesus is trying to For me, I want to take it out of the realm of what Jesus just taught us there and what happened. And in the, in the few minutes that we have left, I want to take it and I want to ask us to sort of apply it. And I'm going to do this through a couple of just quick, simple things that, you know, just ideas, reflections. And I'm hoping that some of them will connect with us, at least get us thinking a little bit differently. So the first thing I want to say, and these are the first couple ones just seem so obvious but it stands out to me, and I want to note it. I want to say, number one, that there, there are always going to be, this is important for you and me, there are always going to be suffering and hurting people all around us. I'm not, and I'm not saying that, you know what, a lot, some of us may have come in pretty hurting and pretty wounded. That's the irony, of course. We could be right next to someone who is deeply wounded right now. We could be. I think we often, see, one of the things that we tend to do in this parable and say, oh, yeah, um, this is only referring to people who are just, you know, so really clearly 
they're the, they are down and out, right? They're just, they have, they're, they're you know, and, and that's quite possible, all right? We should never underestimate it. I'm, I'm just gonna say that we live in a culture, period, that chews people up. It, it, it chews people up at all levels. I can't tell you how many times, you know, it's so easy to get addicted to things in this time, all the time. I mean, we, we take it for granted. We've got an amazing time that we live in, but it's extremely toxic. It, 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 it really works down. It works things. It's hard sometimes. People, a, lot of us, a lot of us are hurting. You know, we say, oh, well, it's, oh, it's only the, 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 the ones who are clearly in need, you know, maybe a, a homeless person or someone very poor. But I'm going to suggest that I, we can also be someone with a tremendous amount of money and extraordinarily um, gripped in pain and very unhappy and deeply wounded. It's not the singular domain of the disenfranchised. It is possible to be down and out. It's also possible to be up and out. It's, it, wounds are everywhere and they are real. That's why people do radically reckless things because a lot of people are really hurting. I'm possibly be, to be in the middle and to be in a mess, to be discouraged, to be, to be depressed, to be utterly lonely. Those are real things. I'm gonna suggest that people are, around us are hurting far more than we, we often realize. Or at least all of us are working through things that are tough. Or at least we have people in our lives who we know are. And a lot of times those people are working right next to us. Or they're living across the street or in our apartment complex. They're, they're, they're friends. They may even be in our own family. The fact of the matter is, there's a lot of wounds that are very real and there are a lot of us, a lot of people that we're interacting with that are hurting far more than we realize. Or in just in need of love far more than we know. How about that? And I'll say this, number two, and this is kind of just putting it up there, simple, that God calls us, he really does call those of us who would follow him to compassion. What is compassion? Think about the root word there, passion. It, we talk about the passion of Christ, the suffering of Christ. Compassion, co-passion, means co-suffering, essentially. It speaks of empathy, it speaks of kindness. It speaks of lending a helping hand or a listening ear. It, it means at times choosing to see beyond ourselves and to love people, uh, to have compassion, to have a heart that's soft, not jaded and angry. We live, in a, we live in a place where a lot of people are angry all the time and everybody's swearing at everybody and everybody's ready to be offended. I'm not, that's not true all the time. I'm just saying it's, it's part of, you know, we get used to it. It's just kind of the way it is, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say for a follower of Jesus, though, there are always going to be, in those scenarios, uh, here's number three, there will always be reasons to stay uninvolved and play it safe, play it clean. I'll give you a case. A lot, sometimes it's a lot easier to pass by or just go to the other side or to ignore our neighbor, again, our coworker, our friend, the hurting person. I don't know. I, it, it's me this messy. It's easier to avoid it. This messy. There's no risk. Because a lot of times we're going, you know, here's why. I'm being really very, as real as I can. A lot of times we're going, I don't have any bandwidth. I really don't. I'm tired. I don't have the energy, I don't have the ability, I just, you know what, they may be having, I can't, right now, I'm having a hard enough time managing my own heart, my own, I can't, can't carry somebody else's trouble. A lot, of times, a lot of times we might go, you know what, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, t I, I'm at a point now where honestly, I'm afraid, I don't even know what to say. 
I mean, what, do I, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? Does it make a difference anyway? Some of us, we get to a point where we just start getting apathetic around it. So it's like, you know, I, I got nothing in the tank right now to give anybody. I got my own stuff, you know? And, I, and even if I did, I wouldn't even know what to say right now. I just really, honestly, I just don't want to get involved with it. I, I cannot have that conversation. Or I've got, I've got my own stuff. I've got plans. I've got responsibilities. If you knew the weight that I'm carrying right now, I've got enough stuff. I'm trying to juggle it around right now. I'm tired. I, you know, I don't know if I even have the energy to do anything to take care of my own stuff. How am I going to go take somebody, care of somebody else's stuff? I can't do that. Right? I'm saying this. We're always going to have reasons to, to not be involved. It's easier. We can always find that. Because the fact is, we always will have stuff. But I'm going to make this, this is really what I wanted to get to. And I'm going to use the language of the parable in this fourth thought. Is the Lord wants us to be thinking about that uncertain man. We'll go ahead and put that up. That uncertain person. I, want to, I think that the Lord is going to challenge us from time to time. And again, I'm using the language of the parable. To ask this question. Who are our certain men on the road to Jericho? What are we talking about? There, we should be able to say, and I'm using it, that there are people in our lives who we are loving sacrificially, that, that we, are willing, we are going the extra mile for that because we sense the Lord wants us to be attentive and to love, even though we may feel like I don't have the bandwidth myself, or this is a huge inconvenience for me, or honestly, I just don't want to do it. But the fact of the matter is, we sense the Lord wants us to do this. And I'm, we should have people that we can point to, not just far away. Remember, what, remember last week we left, with that, we left with that statement about Mother Teresa, who she was telling people who were coming to her, she says, you know what, it's a good thing that what you're doing, you're coming to help serve those who are utterly destitute and in great need. And she says, that's a good thing. But don't forget also to love your neighbor firstly in your own home. How are you doing there? And I'm going to say there are people all around us. I was reading a writer named John Ogilvie, and he was talking about how for him, the certain man could be the person on my job who I'm working next to. And they're hurting far more than we know. We even, maybe even have a sense of it, but, but now we have, a, we have to decide. Am I going to try to, to serve that person? Or am I going to try to get involved a little bit there, even though I'm part, of me, part of what I'm getting from them is leave me alone? What do, well, how do I do What about my, my family member who maybe requires a little bit more patience or more time, or maybe I'm irritated with them? Or maybe, honestly, again, I barely have enough time for my own self. Now I'm supposed to go and give that away. And, and, and do something that, that you know, can kind of wears me out. Am I going to do Yeah, I'm going to say that there are times where the Lord or that neighbor comes out and, you know, we need to have, we need to have that conversation because we feel like here's the, you know, I'm going I'm to lay one more thing out. A lot of times the Lord will say to us, I know it sounds strange, but you'll get the impression that you're supposed to have that conversation. You're supposed to send that note. Or are you supposed to go make that time for that person? And I'll tell you where it's a really a big deal. Some of us are around people who are very much older in life. And um, it may not always, it may, it, it's a way of honoring someone. Um, you know, again, it may not always be just giving money. It, it may actually be that I'm actually willing to engage someone conversationally, or I give a listening ear, or I carve out space, or I write a note. 
or I take a moment to go for a little walk. And if you're a person um, like maybe me in this case, or some of us are, we're all different, but some of us, we tend to have like the way we, we, we plan our day. And so you know what? Um, convenient love is a lot easier than inconvenient love. But inconvenient love is oftentimes where the Lord is really trying to get us. And you know what the real issue is? I'll, I'll be honest. It's not even the service itself. That's a good thing. The blessing is there. But the real issue is our willingness to respond to the prompting of the Lord. When he says, I want you to do this. I want you to bind that wound. I want you to be that blessing. I want you to be my hand. I want you to be my, my voice. I want you to be my ear. I want you to be present. I want you to love. We all need to have, can we right now, point to a few people who are our certain men, as it were, on our road to Jericho? Is, are there people in our lives right now we say, I am, I am sacrificially in love, giving something there because I, I want to honor God in my life and I want to love people. I want to I give that love away. I want to do that under the Lord. What would that, what, this, even I know as we've been here, oh, there are names, there are people who say, you know, I need to call that person. I haven't talked to them for a while. I need to let them know I love them. I need to show up. I need to be present. Who are they? What would that look like? Again, and then, and then the last thing I'll say on it, and it's, and, you know, last night I didn't even think about it. As I was here this morning in prayer, I said, oh, you know what, Lord, this is, here's number five. Last one. We will at some point be that certain man on the road. We, I have been, there, there are times where we will be, I'm not, I'm not saying literally physically, I'm saying there are times where I felt so beaten, so broken, so discouraged that I, need, I honestly, we, you, you know, sometimes we, we can't even get ourselves up. We're, we like, we like or we're beat up, we're wounded. And there are gonna be times where we're gonna need to be people who come around us and say, it's okay, it's okay, you're gonna be all right, we're gonna get through this. The Lord is with you. Let me bandage you up. Let me, let me lift you up. Let me give you strength. See, that is, there, there are times where that person is us. And we know what it's like to have someone show up in that moment. And that's huge. And I know that's part of what Jesus was getting at. He, he, because, listen, when we honor the, that's even true. I was thinking about it. You know what? It's like what Jesus said. When you love this way, the oddity will be that that love won't come back around to you. And it's not the motivation. It's just the, re it's the truth. That's why he said, love your neighbor as yourself. It's good for us. He says, not only is it the right thing to do, it's a good thing to do because it's going to come back around your way. Be not deceived, the scripture says. God is not mocked. What a person sows, you will reap it. There is truth there. There is something about it. And it's not the motive. It's, the motive is not, oh, I, I but it's, listen, how we love comes back around. How we care for those who can't give us anything back, someday that will show up. Or it shows up in ways. God, it does. It shows up. Lord, give us a good heart. Lord, give us a heart of compassion for one another. Help us to remind us, Lord, in the midst of this very complicated, self-oriented kind of way of living, help us to have people that we're at. We're open to giving something back to them in love in Christ, right? That's the way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. We will need it. Give it away. It all comes back. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I, I love you. Lord, I, 
help us, Lord, to be responsive, especially some of us, Lord. Some of us, it's easier than others. Some of us, at this season of our life, Lord, we need to be really thoughtful about who you're asking us to give towards and love and be attentive to. Um, Lord, I just know that, that heart, when that is in our heart, it, 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 really, it really pleases you. And I know you want us to love you and do the right things, but you want us to show up relationally. And I, I know you want us to love people better, especially, Lord, even our own house, Lord, our friends, our loved ones, but also to be attentive, Lord, to what you're calling us to pay attention to. Oh, I just pray for that, Lord. I pray that you give us big hearts. Give us eyes to see. I pray that blessing as we close out. You know, we close out this service, our, our, our time of giving, our closing song. I just pray this word would just settle into our hearts. This is what I ask. Help us, Lord, as we forge into this new year to have eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.